0: morning everyone. My name is Jake. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I'm a lead pastor here at Midtown Church and I'm sure the mic will start working in a second. uh, Hey, we have a couple of special guests in the room today. Uh, Ezekiel again and Wesley Hanselman, two little babies that were just born and I think think they're like right here with us. So let's hear it for them, the Hanselmans again. Super excited about that. Very awesome. Well hey, uh if you're new here, my name's Jake. It's first time if uh first time to meet you. I'm so glad you're here. Like Chris said earlier, if you're exploring Christianity, we love that you're here. We hope that you find this a safe place to ask questions and, and hear what how Jesus loves you, what he's done for you. Uh, I hope that the message today will be uh, especially helpful for you because we're going to talk about something that is very dear to God's heart but oftentimes not reflected through his people, unfortunately. And we want to try to change that as a church and hear from God in this because we're Continuing our series that we've been in, in fact, we're ending it today. The series being the gospel, and and we've been looking in this series about how the gospel impacts uh, three major social justice issues of our day today, and also teaches us how to interact with two major people groups in our day today. And Justin talked about the two people groups last over the last two Sundays. He did a fantastic job. Really, really blessed by him. But today we're going to look at the last of the social justice issues that we're touching on in this series, and that is. Uh, One of the greatest humanitarian crises that's happened ever in the history of the world, it's happening right now in our day, and that is the refugee crisis. Uh, In fact, in the refugee crisis, uh, we are experiencing an unprecedented uh, crisis. Uh, It involves over 60, well over 60 million people as I speak. Never before have we had so many people recorded as being displaced put in danger, or forced from their homes as there are uh, today. That in Syria alone, a population of about 23 million, or at least it was a population of about 23 million, uh, about half of them have either been uh, killed or displaced in the recent, in last recent years. And according to the UN Refugee Agency, every minute, 24 more people are displaced. Which means that in the next seven or eight minutes, a a group the size of this room right here will be displaced. And this is an incredible crisis. The official definition, for those of you also, we can kind of use the same terminology here the official definition of a refugee is someone who has been forced to flee his or her country because of persecution, war, or violence, and that the primary cause of the refugee crisis today is war. And ethnic or uh, uh, tribal violence, or religious persecution, or cartel violence, especially true in Colombia, it's been broadly documented that once refugees cross borders, they become targets of abuse and suffer unimaginable exploitation, including kidnapping, torture, rape, murder, human trafficking, and slavery. Of course, this is especially true for women and children, and it was very distressing to me as I was looking at this stuff, again, in a greater depth this week, and just see, to learn that in 2015, 51% of all refugees were children. So 51% of 60 million, so 30, over 30 million were children. Many of them were traveling uh, separated from their parents, traveling in incredibly uh, dangerous ways. In fact, uh, again, the uh, UN Refugee Agency has tracked that there have been about 4,800 refugees who have died trying to cross the Mediterranean Sea in 2016. The 3,500 died doing the same thing the year before that. Okay, so I, I, share, uh, I share these heartbreaking stats with you and, and, and fear a little bit that they're, they're mind-numbing. It's, just, it's such a huge issue in our day. But I, I share them with you because I fear that the, most of us, and I would include myself in this for a, a way too long a period of time, but that most of us are, are paying little to no attention to what's happening in our world today when it comes to the refugee crisis. And then for those that are paying attention, we're often looking at it through the lens of political punditry, which is, you know, we're all aware of all these endless debates that are happening right now in our country about what small percentage of refugees we would actually allow to come to us. And if that's not just a sure sign of American self-centeredness, then I don't know what it is. Because if we would take the the incredible crisis that's affecting 60 million people and turn it to be about us, it's just, but what's even most disheartening is not the response of our culture, uh, but the response of the church. Or really, I probably should say the the lack thereof. Because the the American church in general has really uh, stayed silent on this issue unless we're speaking out primarily from a place that's coming from fear way more than it's coming from a biblical perspective. We're coming, speaking from a view of the world that's far more American than it is biblical. That's far more concerned about the preservation of our country than the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And so, yeah, I, I know this morning, like, you know, welcome to church and yeah, here we are, we're going to just dive right into this very hot and heavy topic today. And I know that like for many of you, this is a very politically charged issue. But please hear me on this. You can talk about refugees without talking about politics. But you can never talk about refugees without talking about people. And Refugees are people made in the image of God with great dignity and worth. And <laughs> lately, my daughter Della, who's four, she's she's been referring to people as humans. For like some reason, that becomes her term. I don't know where she got it from, but she's just <laughs> saying to, to Krista, Hey, hey mom, how many humans are coming over tonight? How many humans will be at the party? <laughs> it's like, where do you get this from? This is amazing. <laughs> But we do well, friends, to remember that refugees are first humans. They're people that matter to God. In fact, what we're going to see today is that they matter much. They matter deeply to God. And so we're going to dive into this to see what God says about refugees. And I don't plan on getting into, like, how many of them can come and what the screening process should be. and all. I mean, those are political issues. But first and foremost, let's just talk about these people. And how God sees them. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk on five biblical truths pertaining to how God relates to refugees. To God and and refugees. And then having looked at these five, we're going to get to three exhortations about how we, therefore, should interact with refugees. Okay, so that's where we're going this morning. Let me pray and then we're going to dive into this. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would speak to us. Lord, help us see as you see. that we'd view view the world around us as you do. Lord, break our hearts for what breaks yours, for what's happening right now in our world in Syria and in northern Iraq and in Turkey and in Lebanon and the Jordan and even right now in the middle of the Aegean Sea on a boat. Lord, give us the mind of Christ. Compel us by the gospel that we would do what you have to say to us today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, let's jump into this. So five biblical truths concerning God and the refugee. And the first truth is this, God loves refugees. God loves refugees. Now, of course you can say, well, of course he does. God loves the whole world, John three sixteen. Yes, that is true, but it's amazing in scripture the lengths that God goes to voice a specific heart that he has for refugees, Like just for example, you go to the book of Ruth and the Old Testament. I don't know if you all are familiar with that book, but the story of the book of Ruth, I'll just tell all of it here, just quickly, here, point one, the book of Ruth. But uh, we're going to (laughs) go, let me give you this story, right? And the story is this, that there's an Israelite family, uh, Elimelech and Naomi, they have two sons, and they are driven out of Israel, out of Bethlehem, their hometown, to go to a foreign land, the land of Moab, as a result of severe famine. And there in Moab, their two sons get married. They marry Moabite women. And then in the narrative, the three men in the family all die. Elimelech, Malon, and Kilion, the the men, all die. So now you have Naomi with two (laughs) Moab daughters-in-law. And Naomi is in a terrible spot. She's a widow in a strange land with no land, nothing to call her own. And so she's going to go back to Bethlehem, back to Israel, her homeland. And she pleads with her daughters to stay behind. One of them obliges, but one, Ruth, says to Naomi, And your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And so Ruth follows Naomi back to Bethlehem, where now Ruth is the refugee, the stranger in the strange land, without any family other than Naomi, without any any place to call home, without any food, destitute place. Then in the story enters a man named Boaz. And Boaz sees Ruth gleaning in his field of uh, grain, and he asks about her, finds out that she's a Moabite widow and instead of running her off because you know i don't have time to go into it but israelites despise moabites for many reasons and so you think he would have just ran her off but instead of running her off boaz seeks her out and then he protects her he shelters her tells all the men you cannot come and you cannot touch this woman And then he stoops down low and serves her by inviting her to come sit at his table where he dines with her. And then he showers her with grace, sending her off back home with 30 to 50 pounds of grain for her to live off of. All of that sets the stage for what becomes this incredible romance of redemption. And the book of Ruth is just a beautiful book. And where Boaz ends up marrying Ruth... And they have a child together. This child is the child, the line of Jesus comes from this child, who Jesus is the ultimate kinsman redeemer. It's just this incredible story. But when you hear this story, you have to ask your question. Ask this question, why do we have a book in the Old Testament, why do we have a book in the Bible named after a Moab woman? And the answer to that question has to at least include, because God wants us to know that he loves refugees, that he has a unique heart for the oppressed and the foreigner. See, Boaz in this story, he he makes this statement in Ruth chapter 2, verse 12. It's one of the best uh, lines in all the book, and he's declaring a blessing on Ruth. And this is what he says, Ruth chapter 2, verse 12. He says, a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And in this, Boaz is communicating that there is refuge under the wings of God for the refugee. That Boaz in this is not just a good example of someone that is treating people well. That Boaz in this story is a mirror of God's heart for a refugee, for a foreigner. That Boaz and how he seeks out seeks after Ruth, how he shelters her, how he serves her, how he showers her with grace. It's just showing us that that's God's posture. This is what God does. God seeks after refugees. God uh, shelters them under the shadow of his wings. God serves them. God showers them with his grace. God loves refugees second biblical truth that follows that is that God identifies with the vulnerable. He identifies with the vulnerable. God, why do you have such a heart for refugees? What you see in scripture is that God has such a heart for refugees is because he so closely identifies himself with them and other groups that are vulnerable, the fatherless and the widows, the poor, the oppressed. In fact, I love what Proverbs 17, I mean, 1431 says. It says, Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. And then Proverbs 17 or 19, 17 says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. You think, okay, God, like why would you so closely link that? Like if how I why is how I treat poor say about how I, I treat you, that if I you know generous to the poor, I'm generous towards you, but if I if I insult the poor, I insult you. Here, here's why. It's because God associates himself, he identifies himself with those on the lowest rung of the ladder. And I love that about our God. And like compared, guys, compared to ancient religions, this is so incredibly unique. Like if you're familiar at all, ancient religions, you know that they were always, the, their gods were always associated with those on the top. Like with Pharaoh or with the king, like it was always about like those at top got to discern God's will and to disobey those at the, on top were to disobey the gods. But not so with the God of Israel, the one true God who associates himself with the fatherless, with the widow, with the foreigner. Now, in the New Testament, God takes that to a whole entire another level. Not only does he identify with them, but he becomes one. Have you ever thought about this? That in Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, we are told that directly after Jesus' birth account, the, next, the very next thing we learn about Jesus is that he was a refugee. Now, here's a passage right up here. You can read it as, as I explain this. But, like, this is like, this is a, it's powerful, friends. Like, Jesus, having been born, Herod threatens to kill all the kids in the land. In the land. And so, so Jesus' parents take him to Egypt. They flee their country as a threat of violence in order to stay in a foreign land for a period of time. Like, that's what a refugee is. And Jesus, God, not only identifies himself with the vulnerable, but he can identify as one, as a refugee himself. Why does God love the refugees? It's because he associates with them. He was one. Third biblical truth God came to save us even when we were spiritual refugees. God came to save us when we were spiritual refugees. Now, if you think I'm just getting cute with the language here, let me go to Ephesians chapter 2, all right? In this chapter, we read this, verse 12. Remember that at that time, talking about the time you were separated from Christ, still in your sin, having yet to believe that Jesus died and rose again for you. At that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promises, without hope, and without God in the world. Meaning, as a result of our sin, we were separated from God. When God created us, he created us to have a perfect relationship with him, in his family, in his kingdom. But when we sinned, we rebelled. And when we rebelled, we were removed from God's kingdom. We were under the the just wrath of the king. And therefore, we were removed from the kingdom. But then look what verse 13 says. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 17 says, He came and preached peace to you who were once far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Friends, like, do you see what this is telling us? That each of us were at one time spiritual refugees, no longer citizens of God's kingdom due to our sin. We were under the righteous wrath of the king, but now in Christ Jesus, we who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That Jesus, as our propitiation, satisfied the king's wrath by dying in our place that we now could be brought into the family of God, be made citizens once again of his kingdom and members of his household. The gospel speaks, that the Bible speaks of the gospel using refugee language. And what this does, friends, is this message comes home to your heart. One of the impacts, one of the effects of that is going to be a softening of our heart towards refugees. And when we see refugees, when we interact with them, when we see the images on the TV screens or on our computer screens, there is something in each of us that should say, spiritually, I once was where they are. And God had incredible compassion on me, though it would cost him his life. God, what would you have me do to show your compassion to them? God loved us when we were spiritual refugees. Point four, God commands his people to care for refugees. In the Old Testament, uh, God has very specific instructions to his people about how to treat foreigners. In fact, in Exodus 22, verse 21, in Exodus 23, verse 9, and many other passages, they all say similarly the same thing, which is uh, to Israel, God commands them, do not oppress a foreigner. You yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners, because you were foreigners in Egypt. In fact, it goes on to say in the law uh, in Leviticus 24:22 that you are to have the same law for the foreigners and the native-born. Did you know that was in the Bible? You think that's a, that's an American ideal, isn't that equal justice under law for all, under law for everyone? No, no. This was the law of God, but given millennia before to the nation of Israel on how they should treat everyone equally, even. Foreigners. In fact, it goes, God's law goes so far to say in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, love your neighbor as yourself. And then as if to God knows that people are going to think, well, does that even mean that I should love foreigners as myself? And that same chapter, just a few verses later, in verse 34, God says this, the foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. Now, the Old Testament law includes many other very specific laws given to how they are to love foreigners as themselves. I don't have time to get into it today, but let me say there is just a ton of passages about how much of their, how much of their field they could harvest, how many times they could go over the harvest field so to make sure that there's always food left over for the foreigner and the widow and the orphan. That God was instructing them not just to love them, but how to love them, how to serve them. And you think, okay, well, does that carry forward in the New Testament? Yeah, it does. And it carries forward in this way, and there's a new twist on it. But here it is in the New Testament, God's followers are called to practice hospitality. In fact, Romans 12, 13, very succinctly, makes God makes this command just by saying, practice hospitality. That's the verse, practice hospitality. Or in 1 Peter four nineteen uh, 4, 9 says, offer hospitality to one another without Grumbling. Now, it's helpful to understand that the Greek word, which we get our word hospitality, is the word philoxenia. Philoxenia, which literally means love of the stranger. And guys, it's the exact opposite of xenophobia, which is fear of the stranger. And that in the New Testament, God's command was to tell his people that you are to practice Philos, you your practice, hospitality. In fact, it was one of the markers of anyone who was going to be considered an elder in the church that they would be known for being hospitable, literally welcoming in strangers. Tim Keller in his book, uh, Generous Justice, which I, I highly recommend, like I do all of his books, but anyways, um, he says this, these strangers we are called to welcome were immigrants and refugees and they were to be invited in. They were not merely to be sent to a shelter, but were to be welcomed into the disciples' homes and lives. And it is implied, given advocacy, friendship, and the basics for pursuing a new life in society. uh, Authors Matthew Sorens and Jenny Wang in their book, Welcoming the Stranger, Summarizes all of God's commands in Scripture to care for refugees and, uh, and foreigners is this. They say, caring for immigrants is a central theme in Scripture. God does not suggest that His people welcome foreigners, He commands it, not once or twice, but over and over and over again. Now, if you've walked away from the Christian faith, I just want to ask you, like, did you know that this is what you were walking away from? Like, this is very core to the Christian faith because it's very core to the heart of God. And friends, if you are following Christ, do you know that this is what a part of what it means to follow him? (laughs) Now, the the problem is, is, is that this is hard to do, isn't it? Like if you read through the Old Testament, you see that Israel failed to do this again and again and again. I mean, just read uh, Isaiah 58, read Zechariah 7. You'll see God just condemning, just coming down on Israel for their failure to love refugees along with orphans and widows. Go to the New Testament and you come to us and you see, I mean, yeah, we also very much struggle with this. And the reason we struggle with this is not because we don't know what to do. It's because, let's be honest, we don't want to do it. And that's why we have to keep coming back to the gospel. We've got to keep coming back to the gospel that God would just impress upon our hearts what he's done for us. Because the gospel compels and empowers us to love, to love refugees and anyone else in a way that nothing else does. Because the gospel compels us not out of guilt or shame or duty, but out of love. That we don't love refugees in order to love God or to get commendation from God. We love refugees because when we were spiritual refugees, God left home, became a refugee, and ultimately became our our penalty on the cross that we might be brought into the citizenship of God, the household of God. When that comes home to you, and you see how God has loved you, it compels you. It literally moves you to say, I want to do that for others. God, see what you've done for me. How do I love you? Oh, go do that for others. I'll do that out of love. And when you grasp what God has accomplished for you through the gospel, you realize by faith that you have a new power to do this. That, yes, there's still a part of us that says, I don't want to do that. But now when you've been united with Christ, there's a new part, the new creation that says, yes, I do want to do that. Because God has placed his spirit in you. He's given you his heart. And now you have a new power to say no to selfishness and yes to serving. Just read Romans 6 through 8. This is what God has accomplished for us in the gospel amongst other things. But this enables us to actually want to serve how we've been served. May we lean into the gospel to compel us. Okay, that's four biblical truths. Let me give you one more. And that's concerning God and the refugee. Here's number five. God purposefully oversees the movement of all peoples. God purposefully oversees the movement of all peoples. Uh, Acts chapter 17 says this. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands, meaning that he determined when people would live and where they would live, where they would move. Verse 27, God did this. Here's the purpose. So that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. God purposely oversees the movement of all peoples. God determines when and where we live. Guys, this truth is incredibly obvious Throughout the Old Testament narrative, I heard a talk this week by a guy named David Platt. He's phenomenal, just explaining this well. Like, just think about it in the Old Testament, where you have the, the the God moving the Israelites into Egypt, and then 400 years, it's God who orchestrates their movement out of Egypt. You have God who orchestrates the deportation, the exile of Israel. Uh, with the Babylonians, and then at 70 years later, bringing them back to Jerusalem. That you have God who orchestrates the scattering of the church, that he even uses suffering. Think about the stoning of of Stephen in chapter 7 of Acts to scatter the church from Jerusalem to Samaria, to Judea, to the ends of the earth. God is the one who orchestrates the movement of people in his sovereignty. Now listen, when we look at the migration of people in our our age as a result of the, the refugee crisis just epitomizes. We know that is due to a multiplicity of reasons. But we also need to recognize that it is all ultimately occurring under the governance of God. And Acts 17 says that God has a good purpose for it all. That people might seek him and perhaps feel their way to him and find him. And so much could be said here. But make no mistake, God aims to be sought, found, known, and enjoyed by all peoples. And so he oversees the movement of everyone for that end. And the goodness. In his goodness, God turns even the tragedy of forced migration into the triumph of future salvation. You see this through the Babylonian exile. You see this through the scattering of the church. And according to Acts 17, we can have faith that this is what God is doing now. So what do we do with all this? What do we do with the fact that God loves refugees What do we do with the fact that God identifies with them and even became one? What do we do with the fact that God loved us when we were spiritual refugees? What do we do with the fact that God commands us to love and serve refugees and that God is overseeing the movement of all peoples that they would come to know him? What do we do with all this? Let me give you three exhortations, and then we'll wrap up, okay? The first one is this. Let us join God in going to them that they might know him. Let us join God in going to them that they might know him. First and foremost, let us point people, both refugees and the church, to the glory, goodness, greatness, and grace of our God as demonstrated in the gospel. Let us bring the beautiful message of the gospel to refugees so that it would this good news, it's incredibly good news would ring in their ears that there is a God who loves them so much that he came to them, that he sought them out. That he came to shelter them under the shadow of his wings, ultimately in the shadow of his son's arms as he was crucified on the cross. That they could be brought home into his kingdom through Christ's blood. that They would no longer be foreigners and strangers to God's kingdom. Because of this, guys, this is what God has done. This is the gospel. Can you tell me? They have to hear this. But how are they going to hear if we don't preach it? how are they going to hear if we don't go to them? Guys, we, we need to go and take this news to them. Do you realize that there's an unprecedented opportunity that exists right now for Syrians to hear the gospel? The doors are open right now around the world. in Middle Eastern countries and European countries that have never been opened before. Let us not sit back and spend our time debating whether a few of them can come to us. Church, it's time for many of us to go to them, to go to them, to serve them, to meet their needs, just to meet their needs of water and clothes and shelter, but ultimately to meet their greatest need, to tell them about God who loved them and came for them, and to share the gospel with them that they would know that they are loved like this and that there's a future home awaiting for them, that they need not ever fear violence or persecution. <sighs> yeah, there, of course, are going to be risks if we, go, if we go to them, right? But where in the world do we get the idea that Christianity is devoid of risk? It is only Americanized Christianity that prioritizes security in this world over the proclamation of God's word. Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, if anyone would come after me, which means if anyone, when he says that, it's open to everyone. This is not just for the mature. This is elementary call of Jesus. If anyone would come after me, you must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. And later in that same chapter, he says this. Let the dead bury their own dead. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So let's go, friends. Let's go and preach the gospel knowing that others' lives depend on it and believing that the gospel is worth giving our lives for it. And let's go, let's go there. And let's go here. that God would send some of us to them, thou is a prayer. I might have been praying that, praying that, praying that. But yes, there are also over 12,000 refugees right here in our own backyard resettled here in Austin. Let us go to them. Believing that the God who oversees the movement of all people is going to put people right here in our own backyards, perhaps for you, when they seek out, when they reach out to find him, you're the one. That's been bringing them dinner. You're the one that's been driving them to the grocery store. You're the one who's been hanging out with them. That you could tell them about the God who's come after them. That many of the refugees resettled right here in also may hear the gospel for the first time from people in this room. May that happen. That's the first call. Let's go to them and tell them about the God that has come for them. The second is this. Let's pray. Let's pray to God earnestly on their behalf. For listen, God has ordained prayer as a powerful means by which you and I can participate with Him in the accomplishment of His purposes in the world. Guys, our prayers matter. I sure hope you know that. Our prayers to this God, the God of the universe who created all things, they matter. And that one of the primary ways that we can enter into the care of refugees is by crying out on their behalf to our compassionate God that he would hear our prayers and act according to his mercy. And so let us pray. Let us pray in our time alone with God for our for refugees, for those floating on a raft right now in the Mediterranean Sea. Let us pray for them. Let us pray with our kids when we put our kids to bed at night, tucking them in in a beautiful bed under an incredible roof and pray for the kids right now sleeping on the streets outside of fences trying to get into Hungary or Turkey. Let's pray for them. Let's pray in our MCs as we gather. Let's pray as a church that God would act mercifully according to his compassion for refugees. Let's pray earnestly for them. And then the third exhortation is this. Let us love and serve sacrificially. We can do this a number of ways. But let me just mention three. And the one first is that we can give sacrificially. Through our money, there are tons of great organizations that you can give to that support refugees that have people on, you know, feet on the ground. I'm not going to, sh- like, point any of those out because I don't want to, like, Pick one over the other. I want you to research it, but if you won't feel led to give, go research it and give. If you need to know where to start, you can come and ask me. Chris, I've done some research. We could give to a group. I'd love to tell you about that. But you can go figure this out on your own as you ask God to lead you in that. But give. The second way that you can give, the second way that you can serve is by giving of your time. One of the things I absolutely love about our church is that we have partnered with uh, an organization called the Refugee Services of Texas located right here in Austin that cares for refugees. In fact, in our church family, in fact, we're introducing two new partners today who are on staff with Refugee Services of Texas. And we have, we have some that in our church that already volunteer with them. In fact, we had two people in our church this week take some uh, lovely refugee women to go see Beauty and the Beast this week. I just love that. But you can serve with Refugee Services of Texas. If you're at all interested, on your connection card, there's a box you can check that just says Refugee Services of Texas. I believe that's what it says. Yep, Refugee Services on the end. Just check that box. We will follow up with you. We'll answer your questions and we'll help you get connected to them. We would love to see many of us do that. And then the third way that you can serve is I just want to reiterate. It's it's by going. It's by going to them. It's by taking the gospel to them that God would raise some of us to do that. That we would have many modern day Boazes in this congregation that mirror God's heart for the refugee and how they seek out, how they serve and shelter and shower them with grace, that they would know our God. We're going to end this morning by taking communion. and We take communion to remember that this is what Jesus has done for us. May he compel our hearts to do likewise as we celebrate this. As we celebrate his body broken for us and his blood spilled for us that we would be brought in. That we would be sheltered under the shadow of his wings that he would shower us with his grace. So the communion table is open for anyone to come and take during a time of worship. You can come to the front, you can come to the back. If you've yet to place your faith in Jesus Christ, then this time is set aside for you to just sit and reflect. And we ask that you would consider believing that Christ has loved you in this way. That you would tell Jesus even now, Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. That I could be brought in. trust that you're my savior if you respond with faith then at this moment you are his child, a citizen of his kingdom, a member of his household our God is an awesome God may he move us to reflect his heart for every person in the world, even refugees let's pray Father God we love you, we love how you love us As we take communion here, Jesus, we remember how you died in our place for our sins, how your body was broken, and your blood was spilled to bring us in, us who were foreigners and strangers to the covenants of your promise, who had no hope without God, and yet you, God, made the way, the only way for us to be brought into your family. You are amazing God. And, Lord, to hear your heart for the vulnerable is, is just incredible. God, would you give us your heart? Lord, would we reflect what you are like? or that you would even move people within our church to go to where the refugees are in mass, that they would hear the gospel and believe. Lord, we love you. We thank you for coming to us when we were far from you. We want to worship you for that. In Christ's name we pray, amen.